Welcome to the Unlocking Your Potential Ask Europe podcast with myself, Martin Theobald, and I am delighted to be joined by Dame Anne Lim. Dame Anne Lim, it's not for me to introduce you and everything that you've done, <laughs> um, but I think there's probably plenty. But your current sort of predominant role being the High Sheriff of Buckinghamshire, is that sort of the the headline area of it? But there are so many other parts we're going to come on to <laughs> that I don't want to to spoil yet. Is that sort of the official title? Well, it is quite correct. Yes, Martin, I am for one year, um, means now about 11 more weeks left because I end at the 31st of uh, March. Uh, I am the High Sheriff of Buckinghamshire. It's a voluntary role and you do it for one year and then you hand over to somebody else who does it voluntarily. And basically you are the uh, sovereigns, uh, uh, in this case, obviously, His Majesty the King's representative in the county, for me, the county of Buckinghamshire, uh, with regard to the upholding of law and order. So the uh, judiciary, the courts and tribunal service, the police, the emergency services, um, all those things which keep us um, safe and keep the rule of law and democracy at, uh, uh, you know, at the forefront. Um, I'm responsible for for that. That's what a sheriff does. I mean, if you think about the word, yeah. Yes. So I, I am that, but it's um, it's an unpaid job. In fact, you you don't either get any payment or um or or anything for it. Um, it's a very ancient office. Um, and uh, in in fact, no public money is is used in the um fulfilment of the office of a high sheriff. Um, every county has one. Um, and and it's just a voluntary role undertaken by other people but I do do other things um, and we can we can kind of talk about those but it's a it's an unusual leadership role to bring it around <laughs> to leadership because it's uh, it, it, it's not very well known and in fact one of the things I've been trying to do is to make uh, more widely available an, an understanding to the general public of what a high sheriff in a 21st century world uh, does and what purpose it serves so that's a kind of leadership really. Yes, but it's not just a title. It does have a purpose as well, which, uh, as you sort of explained there, but that's also to miss out an awful lot of other parts of your experience. Title, CBE, OBE, Dayman Lim, uh, fantastic. Your service to the public and sort of public sector and private sector we will come on to, but it's um, an incredible sort of resume. Dayman, I wanted to uh, sort of touch on some of those sort of high profile executive non-executive roles uh, across mm. multiple sectors industries as well as sort of charity work that you've done as well over the years is it possible I know it's not possible to do it quickly but is it possible to give an overview of of sort of your background if possible please yes of course well here's a, a thumbnail sketch really um which uh, we can explore uh, if you want to go down any particular avenue that I'll outline now, but essentially, I'm a, a butcher's daughter, born in Moss Side in Manchester in the in the 1950s, the early 1950s, and thanks to passing the 11 plus and a state-funded grammar school education, as it happens, it was a, a single-sex grammar school as well, a girls' grammar school. I was the first person in my family to go to university, um, so I became uh, a graduate and a French teacher. I read French at university. But actually, by the age of 34, having um, started as a French teacher and moving my way through into 
uh, teaching sort of 16 to 18 year olds and adults. I got into further education and at 34, I was principal of Milton Keynes College. And that's when I came to Buckinghamshire. And um, now, 37 years later, I'm still here uh, in uh, in Buckinghamshire. So I started out with a with a career in the public sector in education and became a, a leader at quite a young age. I uh, was principal of Milton Keynes College for 10 years and I did a second principal's job in Cambridge. Um, I think I learned how to be a principal in the time at Milton Keynes. So I went to Cambridge and, uh, and did a second uh, leadership role uh, in a bigger, uh, more regional college at a different time. I left there in, in the first term of the um, Blair government. Um, last time we had a, a Labour government um, and I became technically um, although my title was rather more grandiose but I be I became a civil servant uh, and in the Department for Education and uh, I was uh, responsible for initiatives that were to do with e-learning. Um, it was called Learn Direct, uh, there's a careers, national careers service online called Learn Direct and UK online centres. So this is um, uh, from sort of 99, 2000 uh, through to 2006, I was there when actually we were, you know, what we're doing now, having a, a discussion via um, Zoom and the internet and podcasting just hadn't been thought about, but we knew it was technically possible. So, so the Blair government were very good about trying to get people educated. So I did that. And then um, just to bring it right through to, because obviously it's a long life so for a long career uh, to the to the present day, effectively, more or less over the last 18 years now. Um, so since my early 50s, I've had really leadership roles in the private sector as a, in, in a non-executive board role um, uh, and particularly in the um, charitable and public sectors, uh, where I'm, I've largely specialised in governance and and being the chair of an organisation or of a, a public body. And so I do currently uh, chair the City and Guilds of London Institute to give it its full title. So I chair a charity, but it, it actually operates commercially uh, across the world. Um, and it's quite a well-known brand for skills and qualification. Uh, and I'm deputy chair of the uh, King's Foundation, which is a, a, a large um, heritage-led sustainability charity. And I'm chair of the Lloyd's Bank Foundation, which is a grant-giving charity. Uh, and locally, I chair the Milton Keynes International Festival. So, um, you know, there's no such thing as retirement. <laughs> <laughs> which is a great festival as well, by the way. For anyone. <laughs> Milton Keynes-based, um, I've been to many events there. Uh, oh, yeah, exactly. Thank you. <laughs> There's so much to sort of touch on and delve into around it, but I suppose sort of broadly, what what do you define leadership to be, Dayman? In that it mm. has a wide scoping um, terminology, and your roles have covered so many different organisations. Is it possible? Can you sort of draw a theme across mm. different areas to sort of boil it down into what you perceive leadership to be? Mm. It's an excellent question, Martin. Um, I mean, uh, you know, what I'm I'm not is somebody who um, has uh, studied the theory of leadership, particularly. So the answer I'm going to give you is very much based on uh, what we nowadays call lived experience um, that I've just given you a resume of. 
I think first and foremost, you've got to believe in what you do, you know, whether or not you're a leader in a small company and you're passionate about what your company is making or what service it's providing. Or in my case, I was passionate about people learning and learning well and having a good student experience, we called it. Or when I went to be a civil servant, I really thought it was important that, uh, you know, in the 21st century, we 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 stayed ahead as a nation and 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 got online, even though I wasn't a digital expert. So I think you're you're only a very a good leader if you really actually are motivated uh, by the um, what your organisation does. Uh, and so I think there is something ab- about. Um, loving, if that's not too strong a word, or certainly having a passion uh, for um, uh, the the organisation that you that you lead and the services uh, it provides or the products it makes. Um, but I think there's very much more to it as well. Um, I think you, you do. Have, I mean, it's classic to say it, but you you do have to have a clear set of um, values and a clear vision about what you then want to do with the organization you, you you know you you can either start a company and think well i want it to make it very successful and you know by the age of 40 i'm going to be able to sell it on and um having been a successful entrepreneur uh, start up another business but you know give myself a bit more money than i had um 15 years before i started the business and made it successful sort of thing you've got to have a clear idea of where you want to go with uh, with it and the kind of culture that you create and the kind of people that you gather around you um and um i mean i mentioned that leadership perhaps of a smaller organization or consultancy uh, being an entrepreneur um partly because i think you have much free much more freedom in those circumstances than perhaps you do if you are a leader in the public sector, um, which is fair, uh, perhaps having been in the civil service, I, I, I think it's very important that there is uh, effective vision and mission and values and strategic, um, you know, thought and ambition. Um, but but it often is is more complicated in bigger organisations and in bigger bureaucracies, or indeed in very big corporate organisations, because to get the culture really embedded, if you are the the leader is hard um but i think um those aspects to leadership are are critical and you need to kind of be self-aware enough to know where those come from in yourself you know what your own values are in fact funnily enough when i came to be principal um and ceo of milton Keynes college and i was 34 so i was a very young leader as i said i came on a course to cranfield university i came to the uh, management development centre and that was really invaluable in terms of me not learning the theory of leadership but learning some of those things about myself that might make me a good or a, or a bad or a good or a better leader um, uh, if, if you know what I mean. Um, I think that's kind of important and I think the final thing is uh, you know not there are different styles of leadership aren't there much is talked about these days uh, whereas in, in in the past the the kind of heroic leader the single leader that um uh, you know took us over the top and everybody followed um although i think that kind of leadership actually shouldn't be ignored it has its place um and the exercise of it very much is needed in certain circumstances um other 
descriptors are used these days, aren't they? Much more in terms of servant leadership and empowerment and leadership at all levels in an organisation. Um, uh, everybody learning their own different aspects of leadership, their own different style. I mean, what is certain is you know when you have got good good leadership and effective leadership and compassionate leadership, don't you? And you know when you haven't got it. So even if you can't define what it is, <laughs> it's when you haven't got it or when it's poor, people know about that. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, no, it's fascinating. Thank you. Um, I mean, there were various parts of it I was sort of looking through as you were talking about it. And so, yeah, one of the, or actually I've mentioned a couple of times through that was around culture change and performance management, which are things which are um, sort of mentioned throughout your your background as well. Uh, are there experiences you've had of going in and trying to work on culture change within organisations? And from experience here at Ask, we know that is not an easy task um, at all to sort of tackle sort of other experiences you've had of it and and where do you start and how does it how do you define what goals are and how do you know when you've reached them I suppose as well yes um I have had uh experience of that and I'll give you two quick examples the first one in fact relates back to the um uh principalship of Milton Keynes College and when I came on the uh, Crumpfield uh, management development course, interestingly, because um, as a result of talking through the role I had and the job I was trying to do, I was um, able to put words on it. Um, uh, uh, and they said, well, really, you need to change the culture there. In fact, somebody said, <laughs> either um, you, uh, your personality and your values and what you're trying to do um, will either be swallowed up by the organisation um, and you'll become, a, a, well, you won't become a different person, but you'll get you'll get destroyed by the organisation or you have to change the organisation. Um, and in fact, why I spent 10 uh, years there, more or less, was uh, uh, because it, it took that time to really change the culture uh, from one, which was not empowering, um, where people didn't take responsibility, where it wasn't very open, where decisions were taken um, in a rather haphazard and certainly quite secretive way. And as a result, what the organisation stood for wasn't well understood outside. Uh, the organisation wasn't perceived as being very successful. And indeed, the people, the students actually, were not getting a good a good deal because people kind of didn't care and certainly employees uh, didn't um, feel terribly satisfied there. Well, actually, quite a few did because really they weren't doing very much. <laughs> so actually, I had to embark upon a major change. And uh, lesson number one was that it does take time. Uh, lesson number two is um, uh, if you if you outline the, the reason why you, you're um, uh, wanting to um, change things or you're going to change things, some people will respond to that positively. Um, others will find any kind of change difficult. But if you give them support and help to understand, they'll come along with you. And a significant number of people will not want to change. And so there comes a point at which you have to say, well, this is the culture now. You know, it is sort of changing from... Um, 
these are not political colours, but just to give you a, a colourful example, you know, it's changing from dark blue to sort of light blue and then a touch of red is coming in and it's going purple and actually then it's becoming darker red and ultimately it's scarlet and actually scarlet that's where we want to go to so people who are only comfortable in a blue environment um will need to go and work in that sort of a different sort of place because um the culture and the values and the way we do things in this organization is as follows um and that applies in all sorts of areas of of, of work doesn't it how much you value your employees uh, what what support and training you give them and, and all the rest of it so yes my first big program um uh, uh, took that time and in fact what I learned from it helped me go to my second principal's job in Cambridge Regional College where actually I did transform it but um it sort of took half the time <laughs> for all sorts of reasons but I think because I'd learned quite a lot on the job and the environment was different and um, and I kind of learned how to do it. The second example though, was actually doing this wonderful job, Learn Direct, which although I was uh, working in the civil service because it was a new creation and it was new labor and money was around and it was an exciting initiative. It sought to bring together the best of the public and private sector. And um, we were creating a new organization so in a way, you were creating a new culture rather than trying to change a culture. And that's where somebody once said to me, you're an entrepreneurial public servant. And I hadn't thought about it, but I think that was quite a good description, really. So I think when you get the chance to develop and create a culture, you can do it in a different way. So we did that as a whole company. We started out as a small group of people, um, uh, uh, you know, um, a dozen, um, and, and then grew that to 25 and then grew it to 50 and then grew it to, you know, 320. Um, and we were able to take people in who wanted to develop a particular innovative, um, uh, open uh uh, taking the best of public and the best of private cultures together. We had a mixed board, civil servants and business people, um, although it was a businessman who chaired the board. Um, and, and that was good, that, that mix of, of cultures and learning was very important. So uh, those have been my ex two of my experiences. Um, and they both worked, but they just worked in different ways, you know, because the circumstances were different. Yeah, and... With that learn direct, sort of, you mentioned it earlier around the e-learning, um, mm. not platforms, but the vision, I guess, of what e-learning mm. and, and would eventually be. Going back to the leadership aspect, I can only assume that sort of part of what it was with yourself is that visionary aspect and that um, of being a leader and having that vision and bringing others along with you on that journey to for something that didn't necessarily exist at the time, but you're sort of tasked with making people believe it will exist and not only exist, but benefit everybody. Um, is that sort of a fair reflection, do you think, of maybe why you were brought in to do it? I think it is. And um, I think that um, it's ironic, really, that when Tony Blair was prime minister, um, although he had the vision that Britain should get on I think they called it the the super IT highway or something like that yeah. you know I mean we didn't have the technology uh, by that I mean we didn't have the infrastructure never mind the um 
portable technology and the the um the blackberry just came in we didn't have iphones until much later but but you kind of knew what the technological possibilities could lead to um he had a vision that we should be a nation that were, that was switched on to that quite early on and actually that included that there was a third part of my role which was um about government delivered services you know like the renewal of your driving license or in fact now um online prescriptions or something like that and we were way ahead with our transforming some of our services digitally um but he left office in two- 2007, um, uh, around the time that I, I uh, I'm not related at all, uh, but uh, that uh, that I moved out, um, and and I mean he didn't know how to use a mobile phone um, uh, because he'd never really had to do it, so he wasn't actually technologically switched on. So I take, I, I mean, the student changed that, of course, but. Um, I, I use that as an example where somebody can have a vision about what's right as a leader. Um, and I'm not making a political point about, about Tony Blair. I think actually he had many good qualities of leadership. Um, uh, but um, you can have that vision and you can take people um, with you if you do it in a, in a certain way and uh, probably without the, 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 the vision. I wouldn't like to say people couldn't be leaders because I don't think vision is the key quality. I mean, I think self-awareness and understanding what your own um, weak points are, um, understanding what your own strengths are, um, having somebody who will um, be completely honest with you and you being receptive to hearing their honesty so that you don't get beguiled by your own bullshit, to put it bluntly. You know, I do wonder, it's obviously very topical, but I really do wonder where Paula Venel's got her um, challenge from. Um, I think that those things are much more important to have as, 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 lead, as, as a leader than, than, uh, than, than vision. Um, uh, and I think it's often those aspects uh, the self-awareness the, the challenge the openness to thinking that you can be wrong the compassion the kindness those those sorts of qualities are much underrated in leadership um uh, and, and probably just as important as having a clear vision and a strategic plan and uh, and a belief in your uh, you know philosophy or your your product that's fascinating. Thank you. Um, have you, just out of interest, really, sort of ever had things like psychometrics of 360s and such like done on yourself where you talk about that feedback element into leaders and sort of being able to hear what your shortcomings might be? Have you have you sort of had those done in the past? Yes, the first time I encountered it, I'm going to keep going back. It's ironic you're at Pranfield University and that we're doing this. <laughs> but, uh, but that course introduced me to the Myers-Briggs type indicator on which I'm an, in, you won't believe this, but I absolutely am an introverted, intuitive, <laughs> uh, feeling, perceiving. I'm an INFP. And basically the chap, when they fed all that back to me, I've not come across it um, uh, before that. Uh, they said, well, everything you're describing about the organisation you are in is the exact opposite. It's ESTJ. I'm sorry for those listeners to this who haven't done the Myers-Briggs type in- indicator and don't know what I'm kind of on about. And of course, it's only one, um, form of insight. There are lots of others, aren't there? But 
it was it was understanding um, or getting an understanding in my early thirties about something like like that 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 led to all the things that I've I've talked about. I mean, to be fair again to your listeners, um, uh, a I've had uh, years of therapy personally, and b I actually am a trained psychotherapist as well and a coach. Well, I don't do any coaching now, but I've done mentoring and coaching, so I would set quite a lot of store by what I've just said anyway. Um, uh, um, but but I still think it doesn't mean to say that to be a leader, you have to uh, um, have, um, uh, you know, to be a psychotherapist or to have had um, a, a training in that way. Uh, but you have, I, I do actually think everybody needs that coach. That wasn't so much around in, in my day, but having got into doing coaching, uh, in the last um, uh, 15, 20 years and seen the benefits of that and seen the culture in British society in charities, in in, in learning, in, in, uh, obviously in uh, leading educational institutions, uh, certainly in, in, in companies and in the public sector. Um, any leader, um, you can't use your, your husband, wife, spouse, partner um, uh, as your coach. You can use them give you some insights but you actually need somebody who really really understands so I think the kind of coaching uh, that's required for for, lead, for to, to be a good leader is 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 the, is the way into into that and if psychometrics help a little bit along the way that's also probably a good tool to use and you were saying there about you've done your own uh coaching and mentoring um in mm. the past but not so much now but um what what did you sort of get from that personally in terms of we deal with a lot of coaching and mentoring within our organization but I know yours was very much uh or some of it was very much around the future leaders and future did you see yes. it sort of almost for you to pass on some of your um wisdom knowledge experience onto those next um, next leaders um no I don't think I've felt that although I, I am a trained teacher and I think there are there are things there are good there are aspects of being a good teacher like being an inspiring or interesting person that matter where you know what you have done might be helpful as an insight to somebody else but I think what I did and I, I I'm, I'm I can think of all sorts of people who I won't name but uh one of, of whom um it's highly, highly, um, you, you know, known in the in the UK, uh, and likely to be more so. A, a woman. Um, uh, I, I think what I was able to do was to challenge in a compassionate um, way. It maybe suggest certain certain things, but but. Um, do, do so in in a way that the the person could the the coachee can take that advice um that idea from you or test out with you something that they have thought about um in complete confidentiality um without fear of looking stupid and also uh, know that somebody's sort of on your side and that kind of, then then you can kind of develop that in in a safe in a safe way really and you can face up to to 
um, what areas you have to work on in your own personality or indeed how you want to plan your your own career um, and what influences the decisions and choices you you take. Um, I, I think the, the only thing that with age and experience, I have said to people I've coached with where I've recognised this. And again, I'm, I'm thinking of a couple of people who are now very much prominent in public life. Um, because they were, were younger when I started, well, not that old now, um, but younger, as in their 30s. Um, uh, and they encountered, A, horrible criticism, and B, um, massive disappointment. I think what I've been able to say to, to them is, um, uh, you, you know, that's just part of what happens in a career. It will pass. Uh, you you will be stronger if you get through this and you get through this in a way that is aligned with your own values and ideas. And also, if you have a clear idea where you want to go, you know, it might feel like the end of the world, but it, it isn't. <laughs> it will change and you can change it, too. So I think there is something if, if you call that advice, then I, I've kind of done that. And I, I've known that for my own um uh, uh, life you know it, it, it's not easy to do culture change it's not easy to take to transform big organizations it's not easy to get good boards of trustees around you if you've got um i mean chairing the scouts was was uh, fabulous i mean that was one of the roles i did for six years but i mean it was partly a nightmare with the with the different people that we had that you, you didn't appoint as a board because they were just uh, elected from from um, uh, uh, local groups of scouts, um, uh, all well and good, very de democratic, but not necessarily going to get the right uh, people who really understand what being a trustee of a national charity is about. So it's, it can be quite hard work with, with folk. Um, but I, I, I do feel that um, I, I've not been the kind of coach that has said, well, if you do this like me, you'll be, you'll be all right. I, I've been much more the one that said, um, uh, it, you know, it feels like this to you now in your 30s, but actually when you're 45, you you could and you will be, you know, X, Y, and Z. And, um, and then it's good to see that um, come through. Excellent. Um, <laughs> and one of the things I'd picked up on you as well, um, Dayman, was you were nominated, well, in the list, the 50 most influential women born in the north of England. Um, and sort of a lot of your work has not been necessarily specified, but you've been pioneering ways for women in leadership roles um, throughout your work. Has that been a, mm. a focal point and something that you sort of really want to push and, and give opportunities for others to come through? Um, yes, is the short answer. Um, I go back to those early days in my early mid thirties when in, uh, further education I was I think one of maybe five women FE college principals and obviously below the principal level there weren't that many women coming through either um, uh, I am uh, going back to the mid 80s just to remind leaders of my um, the, and listeners of your podcast my age so the focus on women at that point um, was, was uh, as, as one aspect of what these days we'd call um, equality, diversion, uh, uh, diversity and inclusion um, was was just because I could see that that women um, didn't didn't need to get the opportunity 
opportunities to get them to get up the career ladder if they wanted. And in fact, I set up a, an organisation uh, in 1991 called, which we called at that point, the Network for Women Managers in Further Education became the Network for Women Leaders. Interestingly, we'd focused it on managers just because um, it was kind of getting the the middle managers engaged in, in that way. So I, I do think that um, from from the early 90s, I was quite focused on sharing my insights as a woman leader and helping others. And I, it isn't my phrase, but you will know of the phrase lift as you climb. Um, I think I have always been a woman who has lifted others, not just women up, as I have gone up if if up is the right way to, to describe um, the, the kind of conventional hierarchies of leadership. Um, and I do think that is a very important aspect of leadership, obviously, to take people with you. So um, a, a diversity, and particularly focused on women, but then obviously I'm also a woman who happens for the last 37 years to have been in a relationship with a woman. So I've suddenly become this sort of icon for the uh, well, in a minor way, um, uh, for, for the LGBTQ plus community, which is wonderful because, um, you know, when I started my leadership journey, I worked in education under um, uh, the, the Section 28, um, uh, which meant that uh, if you were in any way seen to be, um, I think it was called promoting homosexuality, um, you 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 couldn't be in the teaching profession. I mean, it's unthinkable given that we now have equal marriage, both by Tory governments. Thatcher's was Section Twenty Eight, and Cameron, in, well, Tory the Labour, Tony Blair introduced uh, equal partnerships, obviously um, civil partnerships. But actually, it was Cameron who made it possible, uh, if uh, um, the religion would allow it. Um, uh, to have an actual equal marriage. I mean, it's unthinkable, really, in my lifetime that that has come about. So and never mind now the uh, the the whole... Obviously, I was always very keen on, um, on uh, having been a very young supporter of the anti-apartheid movement. I was also very, very keen on equality um, in racial terms as well. So any diversity, uh, and, it, and it's very much wider. Um, but but starting with, with, with women was an obvious... Um, uh, thing for me because I was a woman leader. Yeah, and so I'm very conscious of your time, Damon. It's been fascinating. Mm. But one last thing I wanted to pick up on is so much of what you do now is philanthropic, and you give your time and your status and your uh, everything really sort of to charity. Um, so how much has that become again a, a focus over time? Is almost just to give something back now um, and be able to provide something for for the next set of people to come along um and give your time to such worthwhile causes both locally as you mentioned earlier say milton Keynes international festival but also the scouts as you've said and, mm. and various other i know there are various mm. other charities you are involved with yeah um yeah. how much has that kind of come into focus over time um well i think it's very important and um i actually started um my first charity i founded the helena kennedy Foundation, uh, which is a, an educational charity that supports disadvantaged students from further education to go into higher education by giving them a, a non-refundable bursary of £3,000. So I kind of got early into wanting to uh, give back because there was a reason to support students. But actually what it made me think about was the word that you've just used there, 
there, which is what does philanthropy mean? Um, what does being a volunteer mean in, um, in the UK today, in the 21st century? And I think we're a bit overwhelmed by ideas that being philanthropic means that you have to have lots of money. And, you know, philanthropists, um, uh, uh, people like Bill Gates, um, uh, and I'm not knocking them in any way uh, at all. Uh, but I don't think philanthropy is at all just about giving your your money um, or giving your money away, even, even though I do do a fair amount of that. Um, I think being philanthropic with your time, with your expertise, um, with your emotional being, uh, with your ideas, um, is just as important in a democratic and free and diverse society. As, and I think it can start at any age. Um, uh, and, and I think it's a good counterpoint to, to the more selfish me antagonistic society, um, particularly where, uh, you know, I'm a supporter of media and social media. I don't think it's inherently a bad thing, but I do think that the messages that can be given through it are not philanthropic in the way that um, I've just described. And yet, actually, they could be, you know, and sometimes are. Um, uh, um, uh, and so I, I think, yes, it, I don't know whether I, I, I just want to give. I don't know whether I want to give back. But if I have something to give um, without expecting anything in return, this is an example of it. I didn't really know anything about you, did I? Um, but it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. You contacted me. Um, and, um, uh, you know, if I've got something of interest to anybody, uh, I'm happy to share it. Uh, it's lovely to meet uh, new people. Obviously, it's very good to support uh, uh, people who have ideas that are, are, are really going to help the future and shape the future. Um, and I suppose, yes, as you get a, a bit older, uh, you know, you are no longer the future. When <laughs> you got one, one future, you know where that is when you get to 71. Um, so I, I suppose there is just an element of that philanthropic spirit, which is is about saying you can start it at any age. You, you, you know, you don't have to, or, and you can start it even if you don't have very much money. Because when I set up the Elena Kennedy Foundation, I didn't have very much money. I, I simply gave the difference between the salary that I was earning at Milton Keynes College when I got promoted to Cambridge Regional College, I had a big, a big increase, £5,000. So I started the charity with that £5,000. So, you know, it wasn't as if I didn't, because I, I didn't need any more to live on. Um, so, um, you know, not everybody is in those circumstances, and I'm not saying everybody should do it like that, but I do think a, a, a more, um, a, a broader definition of what being a philanthropist uh, is should could be more widely understood in society. Dayman, you have plenty of future ahead of you. You have <laughs> plenty of energy and vigor and enthusiasm, and I'm sure there are many organisations that will benefit from that and the time that you give to such places. So I can only thank you for all of that and you know your service over the years to so many different places. Um, but mainly thank you as well for the last forty minutes. It's been an absolute pleasure. Well, it's been lovely to meet you, Martin, and I wish you and your colleagues um, all, all the best for uh, your company and your future. Thank you.